Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor here with Stone Payton, another episode of ATDC Radio and Stone. You had lunch? Feeling good? I did, man. We're hitting full stride. I just uh, consumed a $13 Reuben, and I can't say that I'm absolutely convinced it was worth the 13 bucks, mm. but uh, I am at least not going to be ornery during the balance of the day. This has been a fantastic day. Of course, we knew what to expect. We've been out here before broadcasting live for you from ATDC. This is our third episode of the day. We're kind of hitting our groove. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast. First up on this afternoon episode, we have with us founder with W9 Manager, Mr. John Croyle. How are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Well, John, before we get too far into things, can you tell us about W9 Manager? How are you serving folks? So W9 Manager is uh, kind of like the TurboTax uh, for W9s and 1099s. So I worked as a controller for 20 years, and uh, W9s were always a pain in my side. So we have uh, developed a website to help um, companies manage that, uh, especially at the year-end process. So our motto is uh, that we help you uh, complete the 1099, most of your 1099 work, before the season even begins at the end of the year. So now how are companies doing it now without your help? So right now, companies, uh, it's really a paper process that people have to do on a, on a daily basis. So when you get a new vendor, you have to request a, a W-9. They usually email it to you through insecure means. Then you've got to try to attach that to your, uh, your ERP, or your accounting uh, system. And uh, at the end of the year, and then uh, let me back up. A lot of those W-9s that you get in uh, are incorrect. They're, uh, they don't tell you what needs to happen on them. So when you go to do your 1099 reporting at the end of the year, uh, you have to re-request another uh, W-9. Um, and then at, at the end of every year, one of my frustrations as a controller, uh, obviously it's during January when you have a lot of other things that you'd much rather be doing. So you're trying to close out the year. You're trying to do your books. You're trying to do your taxes. Uh, and you've got this thing that pops up that every vendor that you've spent uh, made a payment throughout the entire year. You have to determine whether they need a 1099 form at the end of the year. Um, so during what, that process. What's the criteria of that? Like, is there a certain minimum that they have to have done business with you in order to get a 1099? Yeah, yeah. In order to get a 1099, you have to be reportable, number one, and then you have to spend more than $600 uh, with that vendor. So then if it's under $600, you don't have to. That's your discretion? That's correct. That yep, yep, the IRS does not. Uh, so that's actually one of the first things we would go through. We would actually look through all of our payments and knock out all the ones that were under $600. Mm-hmm. And then, so how does W9 Manager help uh, companies? So the biggest thing that we do is we organize the entire process from start to finish. So, you know, um, many people look at the 1099 process as a, I need a 1099, somebody to help me send out my 1099s. But really the hardest part of the process is um, getting the W9 in from your vendor throughout the year and having them for every vendor. So we would always end up the year at the end of the year with, you know, 150 to 200 vendors that had no W9 or W9 that we couldn't find or a W9 that wasn't correct. So what we do is we take the entire year, if you get it every time you need a, you have a new vendor, you add the W9 uh, request into our system. We'll actually send out that request electronically uh, to the vendor. The vendor will then log into W9 Manager. We'll walk them through a guided process. So it's not just a PDF. It's actually a guided process where we actually help them fill out their form completely and correctly. So that then comes back to the company, back to the accounting department. Uh, it's centrally stored. Anybody in the entire company can request it. So I actually used to work at a, a um, trade show company. 
And at, when we were at the trade show company, people would be on the trade show floor trying to get W-9s. We were trying to get them from our VIPs that attended. This allows anybody in the entire company to request a W-9, and it comes back centrally as well, comes back complete, comes back correct. Uh, then at the end of the year, one of the biggest benefits of this, when you go into the end of the year, you've already got a W-9. Uh, there's also a link to go through. We actually have a reportability, what we call a reportability calculator behind the scenes uh, that tell you whether it's reportable or not. So trying to determine whether somebody needs to get a W-9 or not is a, pro a process of two things. One, you have to determine the tax classification of the vendor. And that comes from the W-9 form that you now have for every vendor. And two, the type of payment that's made, is it reportable or is it not reportable? You combine those two things together, uh, we will tell you whether that payment is reportable, not reportable, a few things are unknown because we don't have enough information, and or another 1099 that you have to do it on. Um, we, we mainly focus on the 1099 miss, uh, which is um, what the majority of vendors deal with. So. Yeah. Now, what's the ramification if a company doesn't manage this properly? So uh, the IRS is very serious about this area, and there are penalties if the company fails to file timely, uh, fails to include all information required on the form, uh, includes incorrect information, reports an incorrect TIN, fails to report a TIN. I mean, it, there's a lot of different areas that, that companies can fall into an issue here, even smaller companies. Uh, any company that has a vendor, that pays a vendor, is responsible for doing a 1099. And the penalties uh, can be as high as $550 per 1099 that's not filed or filed incorrectly or one of these other issues with no maximum penalty. Now, how is a vendor defined? So I would define a vendor, um, typically anybody that's in an accounts payable department that you're paying through accounts payable is our primary target. So if you're cutting them a check, they're paying them by a credit card, your accounts payable department is paying that, um, that would be considered a vendor. A supplier, an independent contractor, um, you know, a product that you're purchasing, any anything you're basically buying for your company outside of payroll. And then if it totals more than $600 at the end of the year, then you have to do this. Yes, you have to determine whether a 1099 is due at that right. point in time. Now, what about if it's the employee is, uh, you know, getting Starbucks <laughs> every week and then that equals more than $600? So uh, well, that would be an easy one because products are tax exempt and so you don't have to worry about doing 1099 on products. So um, something like that, but like Office Depot. Um, for, from an Office Depot perspective, again, it's a product that you're purchasing. So, okay, so 1099s are basically around services service. that you purchase um, at that point in time. But yes, there is a, um, there is a potential uh, risk that if you are reimbursing an employee for expenses and they're paying those expenses with a check or cash, then there's some potential exposure that you have to actually issue a 1099 at that point in time uh, to that to whoever that vendor is that they paid. But most of the time, think about it. Most of the time, uh, employees when they pay for things, they pay for them with a credit card. So most of that's a non-issue. So now, um, who is the target for the service? So our target. Well, I mean, we're targeting companies between five million and 100 to 150 million. Uh, there's some bigger competitors in the space, the Fortune 500 uh, competitors, which really isn't our market. So we're looking at the small to medium-sized businesses, um, and we're, we're approaching it from two different perspectives. One is the, um, the corporate, the company, the controller, the accounts payable department, um, and the other one is the independent contractor. So we actually provide it free to independent contractors um, and vendors that want to actually just create a W-9, and so they can then log in and, uh, and send their W-9 at any point in time that they want to do it from anywhere, from any device, uh, and to anyone that they want to do it. So then I'm an independent contractor, I do this, and then somebody I'm working with, they say, 
they want me to fill out their document and I go, I can just send them this. Yep. You just log in, hit send on your W-9. It's already done and you send it and you know that it's complete. You know it's correct. There's a lot of issues, especially around LLCs and which a lot of companies are doing in Georgia and in and, and most states um, that where the LLC, you don't check off the box. That's correct. Or if you're a single member, which means you're owned by one individual, you can't, you don't actually put the single member designation as your 10 in the name. You actually put the owner of that. So there's a lot of complication and when they're done wrong, um, one of the other penalties that can happen is um, uh, companies can actually withhold uh, 24%, what do they call backup withholding. Um, so if you, don't, if you don't give them the correct TIN and the correct name and the IRS comes back and gives them a notification, a B notice we call it, then the company either has to get the correct TIN number and uh, name from you, or they have to do what's called backup withholding and withhold 24% of all payments moving forward. So it behooves the independent contractor and vendor to get it right uh, from the start. So now, um, is this your first startup? So I had a, uh, so when I was younger, when I was 25, I actually bought an auto trim shop and uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we tricked out trucks. We did, uh, I wouldn't call that necessarily a startup, but we, uh, it was definitely a business and it was, uh, uh, you know, we did window tint and we did auto accessories and gold plating, all that kind of stuff. Um, I kind of chalked it up as an unpaid internship at that point in time. But your career has so. been in finance? Yes. Yeah, so I have a background as a, uh, I have a degree in finance, a CPA, an active CPA and an MBA from Georgia State University. And I've been, uh, I worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car as a uh, corp- like regional controller for uh, uh, many years, um, a very entrepreneurial Great experience, and then I worked for a couple other companies as their corporate controllers. Uh, so then, but this is your first venture. So this is my first technology startup. Right. Yep. So now, um, how has the ATDC experience been for you? It's great. Love it so far. Um, I, uh, you know what the, I, I like the uh, the atmosphere. I like the vibe. Um, they have fantastic mentors. I have a mentor from here, uh, Bob Morell, who's been fantastic. Um, I'm also meeting with. Uh, uh, Jackie Chu on a, on a consistent basis is my uh, ATDC catalyst and she's a uh, marketing expert as well. And then I'm uh, working with um, uh, Eric, um, I think it's Schmidt, who's uh, on SEO side to assist me with the SEO part as well. So it's been, it's been really helpful to me. Now, um, as a, you're the founder, right? Yes. So now as a founder coming in, was it hard to build the team? So I think the, uh, so I took a shot at this a couple of years ago and I hired a, a team offshore and it was a complete disaster. So um, you thought like, hey, I got this idea. I'm not a yep. coder, so I'm just going to have someone build this yeah, thing. Somebody build it. I just, and uh, I just uh, sit back and then collect checks. Yep. <laughs> it worked out real well. <laughs> <laughs> and then cut to what, two years later now you're here? Yeah, a couple of years later. <laughs> I, um, I, uh, this time around, I actually got a, uh, I have a CTO, Sean Middleton, who's worked with me. He's uh, got some equity in the company. So then you approach this as now, let me find a co-founder that's a technologist. Yep. How difficult was that? You know, I, it just, I think it was uh, just working with your network, um, you know, asking around, getting recommendations from people. Um, So he was referred to me by a friend and he and I met for lunch and, uh, you know, he's very passionate about uh, business as well. W9s. Well, I'm not sure anybody's passionate about W-9s. Even I'm not passionate. I'm passionate about them going away. I never wanted to deal with them. That, that was the pain I hated as a controller. So uh, it's funny. So then, uh, so then when he was brought aboard, now this is now you have all the elements, right? You're the expert, subject matter expert. He's a technologist that can build this out. Then by coming into the ATDC ecosystem, you can kind of fill in the gaps. 
Yeah, I, I think one of the, you know, I, I'm up in Kennesaw, so I'm, I'm a little bit, um, you know, out of the loop sometimes. So I think it helps me. Uh, I think one of the things that I need is I need some expertise. You know, I haven't done this before. I don't want to spend six months spinning my wheels on something and then realize I've done it wrong. I'd rather learn from somebody that knows and, and has done it right. Um, and so I can do that and, and save myself a lot of pain and, and, and money and issues. Um, are people out there using this yet? What stage are you at? So we launched this about a week and a half ago. Um, and we do have uh, users. Um, and so I'm actually um, uh, receiving feedback, which I find very necessary. I can't even say it, uh, necessary because you've built this thing. You've been in this thing yourself for, you know, as a lot of founders will find, you, you, you have this thing, but you're, you're thirsty, I guess, as Charlie Paparelli called it. You know, I'm thirsty for user um, uh, feedback. Right. So, um, so we're starting to get that. I've been reaching out to, obviously, I have a lot of accounting contacts. So, uh, we're starting to get them ramped up. Um, I've spent a lot of time on SEO and trying to raise my organic, um, my search results, and I'm working on developing the SEO um, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a, it's been, uh, it's been 80 hour weeks, and I still don't feel like I've done anything for a week and a half. So. Now, um, is the companies that are using this are they the end user? Or are you working through CPA firms to get the CPA firms to use their clients to use this? So right now I'm reaching out to the end user. So it'd be the controller, the accounting uh, or accounting manager, uh, accounts payable manager, something like that. Um, and they would be the, the person that would use it. So they would basically start every time they add a vendor, they would, they would just uh, add that vendor into the, the name and the email into W9 manager. Uh, we then send out automatic reminders over the next 10 days. And we also provide, we also provide a list of, uh, of vendors that don't have a W9 or who do have a W-9. So we have reporting, everything's centralized, and so they would be the, the target market. Um, I do, um, I, I think CPA firms would be a potential, um, uh, they could actually promote the site. Um, I don't, they, they, CPA firms tend to stay away from W-9s, typically the company deals with W-9s. Right, but could, uh, it's a way to help their, but, right, in order to help their company give them what they need more efficiently. Right, right. They could recommend um, the site to uh, their users, the application at that point in time. I, I, one of my big pushes, I'm, right now I'm trying to just use people that I know, uh, people in accounting that I've dealt with over the years um, to help me understand it. We're trying to analyze the site. We're trying to analyze usage. But I think long term, you know, um, I think uh, affiliate marketing, uh, I think, would be a good option for us. Uh, people that write blogs on taxes or 1099s right. uh, would be very helpful. So so if somebody wanted to learn more and uh, get a feel for this, is the website's up and running? It's up and running. It's at uh, w, w and the number nine manager.com. And then from there, it's kind of pretty easy to get. Yep, we, uh, we offer a 14-day free trial that gives you access to the entire site and 10 free W-9s, which you can walk through the entire process of, of sending out requests and receiving them back and determining whether they're reportable using our reporting tools, um, you know, our centralized storage. Uh, and of course, you can always send and uh, create and send a W-9 for free at any point in time. And any independent contractor can also go there and then set up for free. Right? Yep, yep, yep. And we'll walk, like I said, it's not just a PDF. It's actually a guided process. So if you key in that you are a single member LLC and walk through the steps, we'll tell you that you can't fill out a W-9 as a single member LLC. You've got to fill it out right. as the owner. So we'll, and many other different processes. If you, 
If you're an independent contractor using your social security number, we'll recommend that you use a, an EIN and not your own social security number. And, and we'll point you to the IRS website. Right, so you're kind of catching the mistakes before they happen. Yep, yep, yep. And trying to keep, uh, again, one of the things I'm passionate about is helping entrepreneurs or, sorry, independent contractors not use their social security number as well. I think that's a big a big way that we can help keep those uh, your, social, your social security numbers uh, secure right. um, from that. All right, good stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Appreciate it. Thank you. So while you guys were talking, I was trying to calculate how many shows I have to produce before I could make six hundred dollars. But I'm safe for the day, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, keep up the good work, man. Thanks for sharing your story and uh, and keep us posted. We we love to follow stories like this. I know it's an exciting time for you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, how about staying with us? Uh, We're going to visit with a couple more folks. Sure. All right, next up on ATDC Radio this afternoon, please join me in welcoming to the show founder and clinical director with TQ Intelligence, Mr. Yared Alimu. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. Did you learn anything about W-9s in that Uh, last segment? Absolutely. I'm in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I can help with that. Already (laughs) non-compliant. Well, uh, Yared, can you share a little bit about TQ Intelligence? How are you serving folks? Uh, So we're... uh, focus on uh, behavioral mental health. Uh, so we're a population health management platform uh, that tracks uh, treatment outcomes and uh, support healthcare providers uh, make decisions about mental health treatment based on data. So now um, mental health, uh, the people that are you're serving, are, are they kind of the general population? Or are you focusing on homeless people? Yeah. So our primary focus on is uh, at-risk youth. These are uh, kids who are in treatment currently um, as part of the process uh, in the in the Georgia mental health paid by the state and the federal government. So um, the significant majority of mental health services uh, overall has been provided by um, based on public money. And so uh, what we do is we work with the mental health providers. Uh, they will download our app. They will collect the data on a regular basis, and we provide them with a the feedback in terms of um, whether someone is getting better or not. Uh, are there other things they need to consider in terms of improving uh, the quality of care? Now, what are some of the challenges you see in this area? Because I would imagine there's a lot of uh, landmines in this world in terms of just patient compliance and um, getting the outcomes that they desire, and it's just very challenging. Yes, I mean, I've already kind of felt like I'm raising the mood in this room right here by talking about (laughs) mental health. (laughs) So it's it's kind of the stepchild of the healthcare system. and you know nobody wants to talk about mental health at home, and and so it's a right. uh, so you have to kind of cross that first. Uh, um, so medicine in general, healthcare in general, is struggling with um, uh, data accountability uh, and measurements. Right. Um, and so that's partly a problem with lack of efficient technologies. But also you have a resistance from both the providers and the patients. So, so if you're an innovator in this space, you're right in the middle of uh, these two kind of competing factions that are uh, highly resistant in terms of change. And that's probably why you have a, uh, it costs $3.4 trillion a year with very little to show for it in terms of how someone, you know, the, the overall well-being of, uh, of uh, individuals recovered by um, Insurance. So, 
Um, and mental health is even worse. Than mental health is even worse. Sixty um, percent uh, of uh, psychotropic medications—these are the medications for depression and anxiety—are prescribed by primary care physicians. So most people will go to their primary care physicians complaining about depression and anxiety, uh, which is, you know, you're going into complaining about... Um, right, the same guy who's treating your flu exactly is deciding if you're depressed or not. Yeah, which is not a good idea. You <laughs> I mean, they have in general seven minutes, you know, so <laughs> right. if you go to your primary... So how much, you know, what, what are you going to do in that seven minutes? Are you going to talk about, you know, your high cholesterol or are you talk about your... Uh, so that's so that, why there's the popularity of medicinal marijuana, medicinal or non-medicinal, <laughs> and in other forms of substances uh, that's widely available. Um, and in fact, you're you know you have a much better chance of spending a good time with your drug dealer than you do with your primary care physician. <laughs> They'll give you more time. Um, so the problem with quality is is you know as I said, majority of these medications are prescribed by people. Um, may not even have a, a one class in their uh, medical school training that has to do with mental health, um, and and so on. On top of that, it's a it, mental health is a low technology ecosystem. There's you know it's just beginning to adapt the electronic medical record systems, which is they're a glorified billing systems. They don't do any analytics. They don't help with you know automation. Uh, so these are essential things to call to coordinate care. You cannot do that on those EMRs. Now, isn't another challenge, especially in mental health, that it's hard to kind of get the data you need to see where there's progress because of so many privacy issues? Uh, so more than privacy is, so if you go to your primary care physicians right now, you can tell them about you have pains and aches and somewhere. Say, let me go and take some blood and see if there is something right. I can be able to see. Uh, we don't have none of that in mental there's health. There's no testing. There's no, so I'm, I'm, Believing, or I'm taking, I'm a psychologist by training, so I'm relying on the person who's the least uh, reliable, which is the patient, make decisions about treatment based on Just very limited information. And they're not yeah. always the most reliable yeah. uh, source so for that information. Absolutely. It's the type of data. It's also... So how do you get data that you can use that you can say is, okay, this is reliable. I'm yeah. going to... I can really tell that this person is depressed and and not even just depressed as an yeah. on-off switch. You're either depressed or not. It's like, wh how depressed are they? Are they a nine? Sure. Are they a two? Are they, you so know? Uh, we do a few things to address that. Uh, one is we use a voice recognition technology uh, to be able to uh, quantify and predict the severity of the mental health disorder. By their voice? By their voice. So really? we, we collect about a 90-second voice sample. Uh, so every time we collect other data so if you're in uh if you're participating in a pilot with us right uh, every three weeks the therapist will spend the first 10 minutes collecting data so they collect data using scientifically validated surveys and we collect the data from the parents since we're working with young people we collect the data from the patient we collect the data from the therapist because you can't just ask the therapist how the patient is doing. They'll say, everybody's doing great. I'm just the greatest therapist in the world. <laughs> right. Uh, and so how that's many those, smiley that, faces? Yeah, those are my colleagues. They were really, you know, <laughs> right. we're, we're in this business to make. Uh, so we collected from these three stakeholders. But this and then data we collect in 90 seconds. But the data is coming from surveys. They're having filling out forms. Yeah, so they'll, yeah, they'll download our app. And uh, so the therapist, the workflow is they will open it up and they have their own uh, so they fill out these information. It's a scientifically validated survey. Like what's an example of one question on the 
survey? Um, have you been showing your behind to other people? No, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, these are observable questions. Like, have, um, have you, um, some of it has to do feelings. Uh, did you have any um, conflict with somebody else? Did you? Mm -hmm. uh, so these are 26 questions. We ask them the same questions with these three people. Each and then time. we collect we collect the ninety second voice sample on top of that. And then the that voice sample is based on them at answering one of these questions, no. or they're just reading something. Free form. So they're just asking them just to yeah. So how's how's your week been? And then they just talk for yeah. the period of time, and then from their tone or their you're getting certain markers yeah. based on how they're speaking, the speed. So we're building the algorithms to be able to uh, these machine learning algorithms to be able to. Uh, not focus on content, but to use these uh, structures, these nuances in someone's voice to be able to identify biomarkers that are indicative of emotional distress. Mm -hmm. And then did you come up with this idea that you can use voice to do this? No, no. So so there, this is an exciting time to be in health care, right? So right. part of that is the, um, you know, all these startups are in about to take down all you know this kind of big conglomerate that you know resistance. Everybody's change. trying to figure it out. Yeah. So um, so if you're in mental health innovations, uh, the focus is how can we measure severity, right? Objectively, right? So if you're in um, there are companies that are doing that by using face recognition technology. So they see these idiosyncratic facial expressions, and based on that, they be able to kind of come up with. Your so that's valid too. They're using facial recognition. Everybody's working on this. Uh, and when I say it's a different, so there are other companies, for example, using what's passive data. So you download their your app into their uh, to your phone, right. and they just kind of watch what your pattern is. They see what you're tweeting, see what you're doing in Facebook, uh, and then that data becomes uh, a way to be able to identify. Right. Uh, for example, if you're suicidal, uh, so they use that to be able to kind of give a heads up to the healthcare provider saying, you know, Joey's been actively mm -hmm. communicating about suicide on, uh, right. uh, so, so, so the objective data coming from someone other than the patient. Right. But I mean, the social media is the patient. I mean, yeah. that's their patient's words. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but with the, with the exception that you can sit back and watch the patterns, right. most people who engage in certain behaviors don't really see um, and once you go even further than that, some of the algorithms can actually be able to predict um, the likelihood that you're engaged in self-harm or suicidal behavior. Now, is this something that it, this is only in the healthcare um, kind of world right now? Is it something that eventually will go to like parents so that they can kind of monitor? Because a lot of times something bad happens to a kid and the parents are like, I didn't see this coming. This is out of the blue. Absolutely. But when you look back, there might have been clues. Absolutely. So what's unique about us is we actually collect data from the parent directly. Mm -hmm. And so uh, aren't they so, usually the last to know? So <laughs> here is the thing. If you if you sit down the the kid, the parents and the therapist, there's about 25% agreement. 75% of it is not really communicated. Everybody assumes that everybody knows. But everybody's seeing something different? Yeah, so they so you're the patient, right? Right. Um, if I'm a parent, I have a different perspective about you versus if I'm a therapist. Right. And you also have a different perspective than these other two. So what we do is we when we collect this data from parent, from the kid and for the therapist. When you kind as, of aggregate all of as that. As soon as they hit submit, we give them a feedback. 
right? And we highlight any differences that they have. Mm-hmm. So what we do, the therapist said, no, you don't have to wonder about what they're saying. We're already quantifying how bad the problem is right. for you. So why can't you use that data to be able to talk about, you know. And then get kind of at the at the crux of it and then maybe kind of re- resolve some of these issues or deal with some of these issues. Absolutely. We spend a whole lot of time on subjectivity as mental health providers with very limited data in terms right. of- Right, you're always in yeah. the gray areas. Absolutely. Right. So we wanna to try to push it a little bit on the other side, say we can use numbers, right? We're all about measuring. Every three weeks would give you a number, right? So, and then we have- the That way you can see progress, right? So we hope that is a progress. Right. But so we mark it at 65. 65 is clinical, right? If you're up you know, above 65 or above, that's high risk. So what we want to see what you're in treatment is for the graph to go on, on Down. downward. But also what's important is the graph to go down, all the three people have the same So everybody's the seeing same it the patterns. same way. Like if one person's going up and then two are going down, there's a problem. We got a problem. So now... Um, how how has it been for you to be kind of you have your mental health background but now you're also in this kind of tech world now uh, startup people are weird <laughs> you notice uh, that i mean it's uh <laughs> what, they're all 65 uh, we, right <laughs> so i'm like one of the oldest people here right uh, on top of that i you know um walked away from you know uh, stuff that i've been trained for i don't know maybe 10 years right um and then you come here, it's like a cult, you know? It's a, <laughs> everybody speaks the same way. Like, am I, am I missing something here? <laughs> uh, so, so, so they need you here. You've, you've learned that, right? They I need close, a lot of mental health I close my door and I stay anonymous. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, the transition has been rough because uh, I don't, you know, the, the you know, I, I've had like a practice, private practice, like part-time. Uh, I was in university setting for 10 years. Uh, so coming here, uh, and literally, like I tell people, it's like you're, I'm getting a free MBA because it's, uh, um, you know, it, it, it really is just learning the language, the system, the culture. And, um, the, and the business, kind of building a, a business that's on technology, there are certain things like minimum viable product and customer discovery. Yeah, that maybe is new to you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, psychologists and scientists think about products in a very suspicious way. So, you know, when we have a hypothesis, we rarely get to a certain place that we have some level of definitive. Uh, right. So, so you know, those kind of, you know, um, kind of hesitations and doubts and all this stuff that's inherent in the scientific process is kind of missing on the on, on this side, <laughs> right? Right. So, uh, so the way I dealt with that is like, for example, we have a CEO right now. So we have great CEO background in MBA. I believe in a division of labor. It's both at home and not work. It's not a. Uh, I'm not. You know, the idea that I'm going to learn enough that you know, uh, we also have a CTO. So it's uh, uh, we, we make sure that we have um, a level of um, understanding and collaboration. So um, I learn. A, quite a bit about this whole technology thing from uh, from a from a founder perspective um and so i you know for about a year and a half i kind of like uh, i you know i i don't i don't like some doing some of these things <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you discovered that pretty quickly <laughs> uh, you know there's some people i don't want to talk to and uh, and so uh, but there are other stuff that is get me excited like when i go to our pilot sites and i'm training the therapist and right. i'm like 
educating about how to use this data for clinical and because that's where the rubber hits the road, yeah, right? Yeah, that's where yeah. you're seeing the yeah, impact, yeah. right? And so let let somebody else manage the other stuff. And then so now you have a team you're you're happy with? Absolutely, We're, we have a great team. And then um, for you, is your product out there in the market so the app exists and then um, and therapists are using it? So we have uh, two pilot sites, one in rural Georgia. So, so if you really want to be grateful about what's going on in your life, you know, go to one of these places in right. the middle of, you know, that's the, the treatment provider uh, starts around Kennesaw, go all the way down to the Georgia-Tennessee border, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we had to stop our pilots because we're, the therapists are going into places that they don't have Wi-Fi and cellular. Right, so that's hard to use and the app. Exactly. They're, they're also going into places that the parents cannot read, the kid cannot read. You didn't think of that when you were developing this, huh? <laughs> I've been in this space for quite a while. And so uh, I so, said, so we're going to back this thing out. So right. we completely stopped autopilot, uh, brand new app, right? So the app now can be able to collect data with, with our Wi-Fi and cellular. Right. Uh, and you don't have Less to read. words. And so when you have more, when more you a question, you hit the speaker button. Right. It reads the question for you. Uh, and we have another pilot site in the middle of the city, right? right? So we have two populations that are underserved and also suffering the consequences of poverty, which is stress, which is contributes to right. uh, mental health issues. Right, it's kind of a, a spiral, a downward yeah. spiral. So we have about 8,000 patients. Uh, Already? Wow. <clears throat> access to 8,000 patients and that's from just these two here sites. And those two sites? Yeah. There's but we can only take like 200, 200. It's uh-huh. labor intensive because right. we do a lot of time training. So it's not a, you can have a pretty, you know, algorithm. Nobody cares about that. So what we do is we spend a lot of time on implementation, making sure that the therapists bind to the model that we have, and then training the therapist for them to tra- train the patients to buy into this process. And the parent. Like there's, the a, parent. there's a lot of moving parts. So so this is where kind of, you know, if you look, if you're in healthcare innovation, um, there's a lot of pretty apps out there. Right? right. What makes a difference is can you you have a system that can be able to engage uh, patients, providers, uh, and other stakeholders. Do you have? Are you seeing results? Are you seeing that this is making a difference? Slow, but it's coming in. It's coming in. So, so again, part of that is because we had to stop uh, and completely redo right. uh, both our app and our web portal. And so, the web portal that we have is. Uh, it allows if you're a supervisor of one of these agencies, you can sit and you know you you have access to data that you did not have before. Right, and right? that must so, be so you got to build a dashboard that makes it easy yeah. for them to kind of manage. So we we were at the North Georgia yesterday, um, and so we already go up and running because uh, we took about three months or so just to uh, come back and um, fix this thing and go about again. So now, um, what do you need more of right now? Money. More money? <laughs> You're running out of money? You're going to have to do it, some more, get more private practice patients. Well, you know, that's that's been paying the bills. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm even considering setting, setting up a little booze over there. Uh, but in this case, I'll be like Miss Cleo. Like, I'm going to predict what's going to happen to your, uh, you know, that's an easy way to collect money. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's your next venture. Um, so you need? Are you looking for investors? Really? No, not right now. Not right now. So you yeah. you're, you just want to get it out there and get people using it. And we, we once we start have data flowing, uh, there is some you know we have we will have kind of data that is, um, important if you're a payer for example, 
um, right now, uh, if you're Blue Cross Blue Shield, yeah. someone sends you a claim, and you pray and you pay, right? Yeah, that's how it works. You <laughs> <laughs> don't know whether you know that treatment actually have taken place or not, right? So this, um, gives, so that's good from their standpoint as well. Uh, we so we addressing both the provider. I mean, this is what kind of unique, and that's what's taking court. But we're addressing the provider, the mental health provider, so they can become more data driven. We're also helping the payer so they have data to be able to sleep at night that some of these claims that coming through is actually legitimate. And right? working. Yeah. Because you can tell if it's working Absolutely. or not. Absolutely. And we also have the patient. So the patient actually can go, right, download our app and can go and see what's going on with their treatment. Right. So if you've been in treatment for three months and this thing is staying what it is, then right? Maybe, you can go and ask the therapist, yeah. what the hell are you doing? Right. You know? I know that you're making money. <laughs> <laughs> now, does mental health um, have the same kind of outcome-oriented uh, results that um, traditional medicine has now where outcome is part of the they're going to get paid or not if yeah. there's not the right outcome? So this is where the nudging comes in, right? <laughs> uh, so there's, there's like three things that's going on. One is competition. So if you are if you are a health plan, right, you have to live in with the budget. So that is based on kind of the PMPI, what a cost for one patient right. per year. Right? If you are a, a healthcare provider, it has to function in that kind of value-based performance care. So if you go over that budget, right, you eat right. up the cost. So this is where they're kind of pushing the risk to, to the other side. If you come below that at that time, you and the health plan can actually share that. Right. So, so there's a lot of incentives for a lot of these organizations, whatever area it is, to be able to become more efficient. Uh, but efficient in healthcare is very different than efficient in other areas. <laughs> like in the manufacturing line, it's it, different. It, right? Oh yeah, it's a, you know somebody else's waste and fraud is somebody else's private school tuition. Exactly. So now this helps um, with that better outcomes. That helps. It, uh, it seems like it's a win-win-win all the way around. Absolutely, absolutely. And then if somebody, so your target are um, kind of governmental healthcare providers. Who is your target market right now? So all the government uh, healthcare are managed by private managed care companies. Okay, so any so of if those? you're, for example, in Georgia, there's four companies. Amerigroup is a subsidiary of Anthem, right? They're right. upstairs on the 10th floor. So all they so did you is can just find pass them. a... Yeah, you know where they are. Uh, I knock the doors from time to time. You know, uh, so it's a uh, you now we're not directly dealing with uh, whether it be Medicaid or or the state. We're dealing with private companies that are tasked with managing uh, that money. Right, and if somebody wants to learn more, what's the website? It's uh, www.tqintelligence.com. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Hey, stay with us. We got one more guest we're going to visit with. Okay. All right, Lee, you ready for the headliner? I am. <laughs> oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming to the show CEO with Quick Check, Mr. Hen Ta. Good afternoon, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How well, are you guys? Doing good. You're holding up well. You drove to get here. You don't office from here. Is that true? Uh, that's true. Uh, our office, um, so a little bit background, our company, um, we are part of the Comcast, the farm. Uh, accelerator of uh, 2018. Oh, so at the battery? At the battery. So oh, cool. our office is at the battery. Um, but obviously we joined ATDC because we see there's a potential benefits and, you know, connect with different companies. Very interesting stories, uh, even today. So 
And uh, this is our first month, so uh, get our feet wet in this uh, area. All right. Well, tell us about Quick Check. What are you doing for folks? Um, so Quick Check, uh, what we're doing is we decrease the wait, customer wait time and uh, improve staff productivity in retail store with our cloud-based artificial intelligence uh, self-checkout software. In detail, it's a smart checkout solution uh, focused on helping store operator to connect with the customer by providing a more positive shopping experience while increasing in-store sales. Uh, and we know today operators are adding more staff to expedite the checkout process. And we know speed isn't the only factors. And with the customer intelligence analytics, uh, we're helping operators understand uh, the customer shopping habits and then personalize and grow sales while delivering the true checkout convenience. So now, um, this so it's retail-oriented? Yes, is sir. Is there a specialty? Like, is it uh, like big retailers? Is it boutique shops? Is uh, it like a, a Walmart or a Target? Or is it like, uh, you know, a small kind of boutique uh, clothing store? Yeah, uh, so ideally, we would like to cover all the retailers. Um, but uh, with our market, uh, when we uh, do the market research, a lot of big companies like Walmart, Costco, or Amazon, you know, Amazon Go, they have their own IT staff to do their personal live technology for themselves. Right. Uh, the you know, the outcome is the small, medium-sized company cannot compete with these guys, and that's why we see the debt of retail, but it's not. It's more the debt of the small, medium-sized companies. Right. So that's who your target is? Yes. Is to help them? So now how would they implement it? Like say I have a small retail shop, um, you know, at a strip center or something. So yes. how would I use QuickCheck? Um, so QuickCheck, uh, we... Um, deliver quick check with two uh, different channels. Um, the simple one is the self-checkout kiosk, EMV compliance that you can place inside the store without restructure the store. Um, it's it's low-cost self-checkout so kiosk. Is it like an iPad or a tablet? It's, it's a tablet base, a window tablet base. Uh, could be any size. Uh, depends on what the, the store size. So now do I need uh, a person you know, a sales associate to hand this to the customer or it sits there by itself? Oh, it will sit there by itself and um, customer can just come up, scan the products or press pay and walk out. Okay, so then how do I know they're not stealing? Um, So we also have a back screen that the cashier can see what's the customer scanning. Also, we uh, have a algorithm to see uh, what's customers, um, you know, one thing we're going to implement is uh, connect to the camera inside the store so we know what product that the customer have in their hands. Mm-hmm. And when they walk to the shelf checkout, we know they actually scan the products or not. So now um, this happens at the end of my shopping. So I'm doing shopping. Then I bring all this to the tablet and then I scan my whatever five items and then I leave. Uh, you know, I do my credit card and then I leave. Yes. And and was notified the cashier that customer paid um it's basically the back screen, which and get the it details. Does it print out a receipt or it emails me a receipt or something? Exactly. It's printing out the receipts or it's send, um, send you through the email. Now, is there a way that um, as you evolve this, can it be like my phone is an app for the store and then I, I can just shop as I go and then I leave? Yes, and that's what uh, I would the say. Second the second channel. channel is the mobile apps, uh, which is available right now as well. Wow. And customers can basically, if they don't want to go through the self-checkout kiosk, they open the app, quick check. Uh-huh. Um, scan the product, 
again or order if there's like restaurant situation they can order uh, press the order select the, oh, in so the menu. it works in restaurants as well it works in the restaurant as well so i go to a restaurant i have the app i can place my order it'll go to the kitchen yes go to kitchen print it out kitchen making it and you just come up and, and show I your just, receipt and i can pay and leave so i don't even have to deal with anybody that's correct wow so are you getting uh our companies all over this i would imagine this is very exciting for them um well we uh, we basically uh you know, start getting traction. Uh, we right now we have four retailers, one movie theater, and two restaurants signing up this week. Are they here in Atlanta? Um, the two restaurants signing up is in the Beacon uh, near Grand Park, uh-huh. uh, called Baker Do and Buteco. And then, so there, how'd you find them to to do this pilot? Um, com, uh, your network. Uh, it we take a. It's I think that's the reason when you asked. Uh, we were more. Focus on the technologies. We didn't focus on the marketing size. Right. So, you know, last couple of months, I actually, you know, we're on the ground, go to different start restaurants. Start knocking on doors. Start knocking on doors. Wow. You get a lot of rejection in, in the <laughs> beginning, um, but just how it goes. So now, um, how has ATDC helped you? Like you decided to be part of ATDC, you know, even though you were at the farm. Um, so a uh, couple of things. With ATDC actually provide us um, – some of the guidance uh, we work with Monique Mills. Uh, she very focused on the retail size, her, uh, the catalyst. So she might have some contacts that can help you get in the door. That's that's also as well, and and also uh, one of the perks we got from uh, ATDC is partner with Microsoft um, on our cloud-based artificial intelligence. Uh, we were able to get some funding, no, some credits, right. uh, which is a lot for us because you know we. We will pay it ourselves. You were paying that out of pocket, right? Out of pocket. So now you don't have to do that as much. Not much at all. So basically, we basically, uh, from cost perspective, it's just labor, uh, just two developers. That must have helped a lot, huh? It does. There there was a lot of high fiving when that happened. (laughs) Yeah, we we went out and got a couple beers for that. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes. I don't have to pay that bill anymore. No more stress. (laughs) (laughs) So now you can focus in on getting more customers. Right. Yes, yes, and, and we uh, hire a sales uh, person uh, to help us with, you know, go to uh, contact with the uh, retailers um, and also spend more on marketing, uh, see how can we, you know, spread our message a little bit more further. Are you self-funded or do you have uh, venture capital? Uh, we self-funded right now. Um, so we also look at part of ATDC is we're also looking for um, an investor that, you know, bring this out to the mass. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about hiring a salesperson? A lot of startups have, you know, struggle with that. You don't have a lot of money, so can you pay them a lot, or do you need somebody that's just like a commission-based only salesperson? Like, how do you find that right person to go out there? Um, it's, it's through network, and basically our um, you know, our motto is commission-based. Um, but uh, if you reach a certain milestone, we get some equity. Oh wow! Um, so so we put those numbers and. and you know, encourage them to achieve that that numbers, but also uh, reward based on the equity base. Mm-hmm. So then, um, was it difficult to find salespeople? Or are you right in the process now? Um, it's difficult, yes, in the beginnings, um, and we're still in the trial phase with this new sales person. So, um, but, but you went out there, right? Oh yeah, and I went out too. So yeah, so you know what they're going through. It's not <laughs> <Yeah>. fun. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> That's the toughest part so far. <laughs> right. Yes. So now, what's been the funnest part for you? Oh, um, a couple of things. But uh, when we got that, uh, when we uh, 
wrote our software to the movie theater. Also, we're in the movie theater where mm-hmm. you can order and then get to the concession to pick up your products. Oh, wow. You and know, it's sit, just waiting for you. Just waiting for you uh, so you don't have standing line um, right. at the uh, concession line. It sounds like very exciting product. I mean, the, this is, it seems like a lot of potential, a lot of great ways to help um, these retail stores differentiate themselves. Yes, thank you. And, and what we aim as a company, we want to provide a small and medium-sized company a, a way to compete with you know, the Amazon, the Walmart, because as you can see, they've taken over uh, right, from more the, and more. More and more. Now, is this software as a service? Like, how do, how do the person buy this? Do they have to buy the tablets and buy the technology and then pay a monthly fee, or how, how does it work? Yes, uh, so we provide software as a service along with the hardware um, mm-hmm. just because we think that's the best way for retailers. They don't have to go out, buy a computer and right, a credit card. World, right. Um, so we provide this as a full suite. It's a turnkey suite. Correct. And the price is 179 per month. Um, they can have that. And that's for one tablet? Yes, it's one kiosk, um, one kiosk. along with the mobile support. Mm-hmm. And then so that one kiosk, that's one channel, but what if they want to use the mobile app and don't want to use a kiosk or they have to always use the kiosk? Uh, we, rec- we didn't have that model yet. Uh, we recommend to use the kiosk along with mobile because a lot of time you see more revenues or more sale on on multiple channels. Well, right. Um, not a lot of people, as you see, not many people are like, I'm downloading another app. You know, we walk into the store and they have a way to check out quickly. Right. They can use that as well. So now on the app in the movie theater, is it possible that I can uh, send a message that someone's making a lot of noise and they're bothering me at the movie theater? <laughs> <laughs> on the app. <laughs> If you know if they pay for it, I, yeah. we might you, you we might, might want to try to do that. that. Yes, put, put that on the roadmap. <laughs> <laughs> so now, uh, what's next? You're just selling more and just getting more retailers excited about this. Yes, yes. Um, you know, the, our, our next step is marketing to get our products out to the mass um, and looking for investors as well to help us um, get out quicker. Um, but product is is launched. Uh, you know, has been launched, has been used. Um, and also, we have a roadmap next to you know, connect to the camera, um, install camera mm-hmm. to provide more security and also uh, better um, solution from you know, stealing thief uh, of the products in the store. Good stuff. So if a retailer wanted to learn more, what's the best way to find you guys? Um, yeah, we're at www.qwikchec.com. All right. Quickcheck.com with Q-W-I-K. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. All right. I appreciate all of our guests here today. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio. (laughs) 